Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 126, with Brian Moon of Zero Learning Assessments. So this is a really fascinating conversation focusing on concept mapping as a way to assess students' learning and development, track it, organize it, and make sure that it is uh, uh, you know, heading in the right direction, see how these students uh, compare to their peers. So um, really unique stuff, nothing we've really uh, explored on uh, the show yet so far, but really appreciate uh, Brian and his team reaching out to chat about it for the show for this episode. And uh, they just are doing some really interesting work. So definitely go check out their website uh, linked in the description of the episode, as well as their conference and podcast and uh, the book that Brian uh, helped to co-edit and write all in the show notes for this episode. Uh, definitely keep the conversation going with Brian and uh, the team there at Cero if you are so inclined. And um, as usual, always want to give a shout out to our merch store uh, and to our Patreon. If you want to have ways to help support the show, it is much appreciated. Uh, but if nothing else, I appreciate you for listening to this episode number 126 with Brian Moon. All right. So we are here uh, getting ready to explore something that I uh, don't think we've ever, ever really come close to touching on the podcast. So I'm super excited to have some quality time and space here to uh, explore some things, more of the cognitive side of uh, students' experience uh, in higher ed and the tools and ways uh, and methods that we use to uh, measure that. Um, so uh, we'll just get right to it because I want to make sure we have plenty of time to uh, explore what I think will be a very nuanced topic. But um, so uh, yeah, we'll start it as we always do. Brian, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Thanks, Dustin. And uh, thanks for having me. My name is Brian Moon. Um, I am. I have two two hats that I wear. One is as the Chief Technology Officer for Perigean Technologies, uh, and another is actually the president of Sarah Learning Assessments. Uh, I've had Perigean Technologies uh, as my consulting and research and development company for going on uh, 14 years, actually. Um, and we focus on uh, expertise in naturalistic decision making. Uh, so we try to understand how uh, experts in various fields uh, are so good at their jobs and and what sort of underlies their expertise so that it can be uh, captured and uh, preserved for the organization, but also wrapped back in through training and, and the design of systems uh, so that folks can be uh, faster and make better decisions, uh, detect problems earlier to avoid risk, that sort of thing. So, so that's the focus of uh, my consulting company. I've been doing this kind of work for about uh, going on 22 years. Um, more recently, um, one of the ways that we get experts to articulate their expertise, how we sort of elicit that from them, is to use a technique called concept mapping. Uh, concept mapping has actually been around for about 50 years, back in the early 70s. Joe Novak, who was a proponent um, for meaningful learning, meaning if you can understand where a student is in their learning journey, you can start to teach from there so that they can uh, acquire and assimilate new concepts into their pre-existing uh, mental models or knowledge structures. Um, and so Joe Novak, uh, back in the early 70s with some uh, teammates at Cornell, was looking for a way to quickly ascertain what exactly is the structure and content of that pre-existing uh, you know, those mental models and the knowledge structure. They went through a couple variations doing interviews and that sort of thing, but found them all to be, um, while insightful, you know, somewhat inefficient. Um, it's kind of hard to sit down with each student and, and interview them, right? So uh, they were looking for a kind of an efficient way to quickly get both the content and structure of someone's mental model. Uh, and so they came up with the concept mapping as a technique, uh, and it's it's really taken off as kind of a, a global approach uh, that we see in classrooms all over the world uh, as a learning approach um, to help students, again, kind of organize their own uh, mental model, mental models uh, about various topics. Uh, so we've seen it used in K-12, higher ed, even in adult learning, uh, again, as a, as a learning technique. Uh, and in the past couple of decades, there's been a lot of interest in it as an assessment technique, because if you think about it, really what you're trying to do up front is assess what that mental model is. You can also then see as students go through uh, learning uh, experiences, how that mental model might change over time. 
Uh, and so I got into concept mapping when I first started this work about 20 years ago, again, as a technique to help experts articulate what are their mental models? What does an expert mental model look like in the domains that I work in, which has been everything from nuclear engineering to pet food production to various um, uh, missions that the military does to intelligence analysts and healthcare and lots of different uh, domains, but the focus is always on that cognitive uh, piece of their work. What what makes experts? Um, what enables them to make better decisions faster and to, to make sense of their environment? So we use this concept mapping technique to literally draw a picture of their mental model, and it's a it's a knowledge elicitation technique, um, and I've I've used it. Um, in those domains to to provide kind of an explicit picture, give give the experts something that they can react to. And when they uh, talk through their expertise, we're creating these concept maps on the fly with them. Uh, and so it does give them something to react to. It, it kind of externalizes their mental model, makes it something concrete that they can react to. So this, this is more of an applied use as opposed to the uh, more educational use I just explained earlier. Um, and so applied concept mapping is something I've been doing professionally for quite some time and wrote a book with Joe Novak, who who started a concept mapping 50 years ago. This more recent interest in how do we use concept mapping for learning assessment, though, has also uh, brought me and my company and my colleagues down a path of developing software to make that process more efficient for teachers and professors and instructors to take a concept map um, that exists either from you know an expert model that we've elicited uh, or is drawn from the learning content so you know whatever the whatever the course is aimed at you can create a concept map out of that and then use that as the basis for a variety of concept mapping activities that a student will do so that you can compare the two so you can compare that master map uh to what the students came up with and so the the to to sort of get to the professional journey um in terms of where we're currently at we've been developing Cero as a uh a learning assessment software tool uh for about seven years now, actually, um, and we've we've been funded um, uh, through the Department of Defense, actually, um, to develop software to develop Cero as a software tool, um, a cloud-based capability to, again, make this whole process of of concept mapping for learning assessment more efficient, um, more interactive, um, and uh, to kind of build out a whole tool suite for people who are interested in doing this kind of assessment to give them the kind of support that they need um, to do it efficiently. That's that's really a, sort of a key um target for us is the efficiency factor. You, you could you could do concept mapping, of course, in lots of different ways and everything from having students create their own on a piece of paper to using a variety of concept mapping tools that are out there to have the student create their own maps. So um, that gets you so far in, in terms of assessment, but in a in a higher education classroom, of course, you're going to have as many different concept maps as you do students. And so um, the efficiency of, of being able to go through all those maps and, and understand what the student's um, mental model is and compare the students, you know, across the student body. So the, the classroom um, is also an important thing to do to compare them all to uh, to a master map. The, these kind of comparisons give us a lot of efficiency in the way that we um, are able to introduce concept mapping into the into the classroom. So, so that's where we've been more recently. I, I still do uh, some of the consulting work, uh, but really a, a lot of focus lately on on developing Cero uh, and in in uh, having folks pilot test it for us in a variety of um, learning environments to include a, a number of universities who are running pilots for us currently. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, really interesting stuff. And I appreciate you sharing all kind of the uh, context and everything. Because um, it's definitely, you know, want to make sure that folks can have a good understanding of, you know, even just what concept mapping is and just the kind of applied uses of it and everything. But I guess, you know, within um, the higher ed setting with the zero learning assessments and everything, it sounds like you're saying maybe like a just to give like an example and continue to just sort of flesh everything out. Like, 
I imagine that maybe there's a use case for like a faculty to do sort of like pre and post assessments of their class to see kind of where everybody's starting out. And maybe it's like, oh, I need to spend a little bit more time on a particular, you know, area of the class or something. And then you'd see maybe where everybody ends up after uh, the class is over. Like, is that is that like fair to say, like that, that use case? Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that, that's definitely a target for us. Um, again, if you, if you think about what I said about getting that um, upfront sort of view on where the students are, um, you can do that on the individual level. But um, for you know someone who's managing a particularly a large class, um, you really kind of want to know trends, right? So where are the students strong, and and where are they? Uh, maybe showing some misconceptions um, in the way that they think about concepts and how they're related, uh, where are their gaps in their understanding, so that exactly what you suggested, uh, the, the attention, the learning activities, the, the feedback can be focused in those areas um, that, uh, that they need help in. Um, and so, so that's definitely a, a use case. So that upfront sort of diagnostic piece, you know, where, where's the class at on this particular um, topic or subject matter? Um, certainly as a summative uh, assessment as well at the end to uh, to understand, you know, how well the learning uh, activities worked uh, and sort of what the what the learning level was. Um, we also certainly see them as, as useful tools for formative assessment. So as students are engaged in the learning activities to do, you know, checks on learning uh, or actually to to clear up misconceptions, we've I, I kind of mentioned this tool suite approach earlier. So we're we're trying to support the whole process. So there's the upfront piece of of the um, instructional system design focused on what is the content uh, that we want to teach in the form of you know, it's developed in the form of a concept map. That also gives instructors, we think, uh, a lot of flexibility in presenting uh, an assessment because we're in some ways trying to get away from the, you know, over-reliance, I'll just say it, uh, on things like multiple choice tests, um, especially sort of use of, of predetermined, um, you know, assessment questions. Um, that may be drawn from the material, but um, um, our perspective is that uh, folks that are teaching in higher education want a little bit more flexibility in being able to uh, look, for instance, cross-disciplinary, right? So they, they, they want to have assessments that are focused on um, not just a particular topic or, you know, a, a subset of topics, but rather, you know, focused more uh, in terms of being able to have the students incorporate a lot of different areas of knowledge. And so these concept maps are a way to build out um, against an overarching focus question, which could be, again, a very cross-disciplinary thing. Um, so so what we're trying to do is support that, that build-out process up front to set up the assessment, uh, provide it to the students, uh, give the students a, a scaffolded experience so that they understand what they're supposed to do in the assessment, which is really about taking those concept maps and either building based on the concepts and the relations that are provided, or uh, we have a, another approach which kind of takes a concept map, which is, you know, again, a, a hierarchical diagram of knowledge and allows them to uh, fill it in, to correct it, to extend it in a variety of ways, which really exercises a lot of different cognitive processes. You know, it's not just a recognition test. It's not just a recall test. It, we kind of blend those uh, those two ends of the spectrum together. So uh, enable the students to take it. And then uh, on the assessor side or the, you know, the, the professor side, being able to get uh, those results that really show, again, across the entire um, class, where the students are and their understanding. And of course, enabling interrogation to, to dig down into each individual student, to compare students to each other. If you want to, you know, set up groups, you'll be able to see sort of whose who's mental models kind of resemble each other uh, in terms of similarity. So you could, you know, form groups if you want to form similar groups or if you want to kind of mix people together for group work. So we've the, the kinds of use cases that I'm talking about now are ones that we've um, uh, heard uh, in our pilot testing is really of, of interest to people. So the diagnostic, the formative, the summative, 
you know, upfront diagnostic to form groups or to figure out where the learning really needs to be focused. We think all those are ideal use cases for what we're building Cero toward. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great stuff. And I mean, just what you're mentioning too, like it, it is making, you know, the experiences that, uh, feels though, they're just sort of like, um, I guess in my mind, just sort of like bygone conclusion, like, well, you know, we got to do quizzes as multiple choice. That's just kind of like how we always do them. And it's like, you know, there's, there's a value in just being able to sort of like, okay, there's sort of like a very clear, like, this is this answer It's kind of clear cut and all that. But like, I don't know, kind of what you're saying, like it's t- taking kind of best of both worlds of like different kinds of knowledge, making it more sophisticated. Like it sounds like, you know, just aggregating it, making it you know, more uh, palatable for the faculty member to sort of just keep an eye on, uh, you know, the learning development over time of their students and stuff like that. So um, just really fascinating stuff. And because uh, I think there's just, you know, a lot of people just like kind of want to work from like their gut or kind of shoot from the hip, you know, like, and just sort of be like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sure everybody gets this or like, oh, everybody did well enough on that quiz. Like, it's fine. You know, like, but really taking a perspective to like, uh, you know, pull together those insights and use them to inform and shape how, you know, uh, you're running each of your classes. Cause like you said, like each person is unique. Each class you're going to have is unique, even though you're going to keep teaching the same course term over term, you'd want to try to contour around, you know, where your students are at and, uh, you know, keep kind of just like a good, like kind of pulse check on, um, you know, their understanding of concepts and doing that in a way that's uh, a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah. I mean, our, our perspective is that, um, you know, people who are teaching, they, they want to use these more advanced assessment and analytic techniques. Um, but, it's it's laborious, right? I mean, to, to, to try something new is is uh, is scary to begin with, but to to figure out how to set it all up, uh, to disseminate it, to to review it and score it, I mean, that's that's asking a lot. When um, you know those those questions are there, they've used them before, or they're now available with whatever their you know learning resources are. So just the just the sheer efficiency um, of of these traditional methods, um, you know, multiple choice questions came about a hundred years ago. And it's, it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me. It's a little ironic, actually, our current funder uh, is the army research Institute and the original sort of, uh, use of, of large scale multiple choice was in world war II from the army. Uh, and while, you know, I, folks who are kind of familiar with this story m- might, um, might appreciate that the context of sharing it now, but you know, the, the efficiency factor back then was really what they're after because it was large scale. They had to assess a lot of people at, a, at one given time. And so they, they experimented with uh, multiple choice questions and um, the insights that were gleaned were actually not all that great, right? They, they didn't learn a whole lot about what people knew, but they mm-hmm. could get through a lot of people. Right. And so um, so that efficiency, which has been getting even more efficient over time, if you if you don't count the uh, labor intensity of developing the questions to begin with, you know, we've seen across the decades more and more efficiency in the dissemination and the taking and the scoring with, you know, optical scanners and and Scantron and now uh, the pretty big push in uh, ed tech to get more and more assessments online, but we're, we're kind of just bringing the same old assessments. We're into the computer world, right? So we're students are still taking multiple choice questions. It's just, they're looking at a, their laptops to do it or their mobile phones or whatever. So the efficiency has, has gotten, um, in terms of distribution, uh, the, the, the act of taking uh, the assessment and then the, you know, the scoring, those things have all sped up. And so when we talk about what we're trying to do with concept mapping, um, we always talk about it hand in hand with that efficiency factor, because if you can't get these alternative uh, assessment techniques down to the same level of efficiency that professors have with regard to other techniques that are out there, then the the new ideas, no matter how much insight they might provide, or you know how useful that folks might find them, um, if it's if it's causing them to do more work, or um, you know adding to the to the workload um, on the assessment side, then I, it's going to be very hard to introduce them. So we 
we always talk about um, <clears throat> not only do we think these concept mapping assessments provide deeper insight um, and more flexibility and a more holistic look at um, uh, the students and their mental models, but we want them to be efficient. Um, we want the, the labor, if you will, upfront in terms of thinking about what do I want this, what do I want to compare students to in terms of a, a, a mental model or a model of, of a given knowledge domain? Uh, and so it's that upfront piece, just thinking about what's my focus question for this concept map going to be? What kinds of concepts do I want to introduce? Uh, how do I want to suggest that they're related to each other? So concept maps are... Um, <laughs> I guess I haven't really explained what concept maps are. I'm kind of assuming this audience knows, but um, but they're they're semi-hierarchical diagrams of knowledge. So it's it's you know people often say, oh, I've seen mind maps or that sort of thing. So it's in that sort of genre of of diagram where you have concepts that are um, you know very succinctly stated, uh, and then in a concept map. The big difference between concept mapping and basically everything else is that you have a semantic relationship explicitly stated between the concepts um, and in a particular direction. So we use lines and arrowheads to show which direction um, a relationship should be read. So if you have a concept and its relational phrase to another concept, that gives you a proposition, which is just a basic sort of uh, statement of knowledge. Um, and so a simple example would be sun revolves around earth. Right, so you've got your concept of sun and the fact that it revolves around Earth. I said it that way specifically because in Sarah we actually make use of those arrowheads because sun doesn't revolve around Earth. Earth revolves around sun, so you'd want you know that arrowhead pointing from Earth to sun as opposed to the other way. Otherwise, that proposition is not correct. And so we focus a lot in Sarah on correct propositions. Um, there, you, you sort of mentioned, you know, being sort of, um, best of both worlds. So while we do allow that flexibility and, and people can represent whatever they want in a concept map, literally however they want to represent it. Um, the fact of the matter is assessments are about whether or not people are understanding the material, comprehending the material, understanding truth and falsity and those sorts of things. So we uh, we do score the maps and we do have an idea of, of correct or in some cases better than propositions. So um, not all of our propositions are explicitly correct or incorrect. Some of them can just be better than um, a proposition that might otherwise be stated. So so we're we're trying to um, use the maps as a as a flexible way, but still focused on you know that there's there's better answers, there's right, there's wrong answers, and so we're we're kind of straddling. Uh, we're trying to straddle uh, a couple of different ends of the spectrum. So we we kind of see ourselves between an essay and a multiple choice in question, uh, between you know having having standardized learning in terms of you know there is a right or wrong answer versus you know just the students can say whatever they want. Um, so we're we're trying to fit in that neat little spot there, but. Um, trying to do it efficiently so that people can exercise this technique, uh, try it out um, and use it uh, without a ton of additional labor, especially in the scoring side, because that's that's really where um, historically where it's been most difficult to gain efficiencies. Uh, there's lots and lots of rubrics out there for how to score these concept maps and, and you know what's kind of important in them. We, we focus a lot on those propositions um, because that is where we think the, the most learning can be assessed. Um, and then comparing that to some sort of master or expert map is widely regarded as kind of the best way to do this. Um, and so that's, that's been our approach. And then, um, we, we just have a, a bunch of ways for supporting the, um, review of the student performance. So making it you know, readily visible to see where students are struggling. Um, it, it has been our focus because um, <laughs> I keep coming back to that efficiency factor, but, I, but I, I'm pretty passionate about the idea that if we're introducing assessment techniques that require a, a lot of extra effort, they're simply going to lose out in the long run to the ones that are efficient. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, just that broader point, too, of like, you know, I think a lot over the uh, last year, people have had to get out of their comfort zones and do new things and use new tools. And, you know, the things that will stick and remain are the ones that, you know, uh, are easy to use, obviously, and, you know, just like intuitive and just sort of, right. uh, you know, uh, work better in that way. But yeah, and I appreciate you taking a B2 because I wanted to make sure we uh, stop for a second to, uh, you know, kind of give a quick definition of uh, concept mapping. Um, but I know I've like, I've seen things like it. I think sometimes in the context of like, uh, like project management, you, you know, kind of mapping out, mm -hmm. you know, if this, then that, and you're, you know, just kind of having this like flow and different, uh, yeah, like symbols or color, you know, like those are the, the different things. But um, obviously, yeah, like knowledge also, you know, kind of cognitive uh concepts and things like have, you know, these sort of relational concepts and, uh, you know, uh, just being able to visualize that that way. Um, and like you said, like making that easy to sort of uh, capture and measure and all of that. Uh, yeah, just kind of elevates and make it, I feel like my word will be <laughs> kind of makes things more sophisticated, you know, like it, it yeah. just feels like it's kind of a big upgrade, you know, uh, the potential there. But, um, you know, and, and I guess just really put a finer point on it, too, because I think you, you've spoken a little bit to it, but like from your point of view, obviously like you're really committing to making this uh, all kind of work within, uh, you know, educational settings and higher ed specifically, I guess, just for our sake. But like, what do you think makes this work, you know, that your team does so important for higher ed specifically? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, the, um, the broader trends in terms of uh, using concept mapping for assessment, uh, have actually been in K-12, uh, and, and it's worth mentioning that the um, National Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP, um, it's a standardized test at grades 4, 8, and 12 in uh, in the U.S. They have reading, math, and science. Their science framework, actually since 2009, has called for using this exact technique uh, as a computer, uh, an interactive computer task. So we've seen, you know, a lot of uh, focus on this technique. Um, I can't think of a similar, you know, kind of a, uh, a similar view on it in higher ed. And uh, I, I'm suspecting that's because there's, you know, there, there's more choice, if you will, in, in higher ed about how, um, how professors uh, choose to assess their students. Um, and, and, but the flip side of that is as, as we've been developing and we've, um, you know, invited folks to try it out, we've gotten a lot more traction, if you will, in higher ed. Uh, and again, that may just go back to the flexibility and the, and the choice that, um, uh, is different than it is of course in K-12. Um, but the, the, the interest has been, um, uh, there's a couple of ways to think about the interest. It's been global. So we've actually done pilot uh, testing in Australia and Brazil um, and in a couple of European countries, Portugal in particular. Um, so we've done pilot testing um, and the interest has been across disciplines. So our work in Australia was in accounting. Uh, our work in Brazil has been in biology um, and uh, other sciences actually in Portugal. Uh, and so um, we're pretty confident that sort of across the, um, the disciplinary spectrum, if you will, um, you know, that there's a place for concept mapping. Very strong in the sciences. Obviously, it's kind of where it came out from um, originally. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, research in, about using it in the sciences. But, um, you know, our, our example of accounting, uh, it was interesting because that professor, um, uh, what was, she was trying to do was was just think about a few concepts and a few linking phrases. So, um, you know, the linking phrases were things like increases or decreases. And you mentioned earlier sort of the if, if that, then this. You can build a lot of reasoning into these concept maps. Um, and so it's, they're not just... Uh, you know, declarative factual knowledge, but their reasoning, uh, they, they can be problem solving. One of our pilots was actually with the um, U.S. Department of Defense's medical school. They, we had a pathology professor there who was interested in, uh, she had a team concept mapping exercise, but they were also interested in, in sort of walking through that diagnostic um, uh, you know, thought process that, that people go through as they're learning different pathologies. And so we've got another um, uh, pilot going on right now with the University of Pretoria in South Africa, in particular, their medical school is very interested in it. Um, and uh, 
George Mason University, um, which is close to me here in Virginia. <clears throat> they are also um, uh, interested in actually <laughs> developing mental models about education <clears throat> and how teachers think about education and their own sort of self mental models about themselves. Um, mm. And our, I should mention too, uh, we're currently teamed with two universities on our uh, funded Army project right now. University of Michigan and University of Texas at Austin. Um, those folks are, are uh, partners of ours, and we are working with the University of Michigan um, to try to make that upfront authoring piece even more efficient. Um, so you can sit down and, and sketch out a concept map on your own, or you can go from the learning material into a concept map through um, uh, application of naturalistic processing techniques. Um, so we're trying to go from text to the maps and then from the uh, expert map into an assessment map and, and build that uh, in a more semi-automated fashion. We're going to be testing that actually with the University of Texas at Austin in, a, in uh, several classrooms in the fall. <clears throat> and then next year, actually with the Army uh, in Army schoolhouses. Um, so you know that that that's a that's a lot of projects um, for uh, for us in terms of thinking about where we can get traction. Um, we we have worked with a couple of K twelve uh, school districts. There's one in Massachusetts in particular we've been working with, but really a lot of the traction has come uh, from higher ed. Uh, and I I kind of keep going back to this idea that it's um, in as much as things like security and, and other sort of bureaucratic uh, hurdles may be uh, in place for uh, for professors to to use different tools. And as you mentioned, there have been a lot of new tools in the past year that people have tried out. Um, that same kind of freedom to, to explore things and, and try different uh, tools and techniques, uh, I think is just not there in K-12. The, um, you know, the the systems are a lot more locked down, if you will. Um, but but that's, you know, because uh, higher ed's really focused, you know, in things like cross-disciplinary and trying to get students to think more holistically, uh, to really think more um, conceptual levels. And because I think at the higher ed level, there, there's more interest in, <clears throat> in what the students are thinking and how they're thinking about it, uh, as opposed to K-12, which is pretty driven by standards of learning um, <clears throat> and ensuring that, you know, students meet those standards by measuring them through multiple choice tests. <laughs> That's kind of the way that uh, K-12, you know, broadly speaking, uh, works. Uh, and, and so so I think the the appeal in higher ed is, um, is to that, you know, focus on student mental models and, and how they think holistically about problems and, and building their higher order thinking skills, you know, how they're how they're reordering things and um, how they're overcoming those misconceptions that, that, that feels to me more of a higher ed focus. I know like a big thing too is um, I think just in like the use case, I mentioned it was sort of like project management, but like our, our focus uh, when I went through kind of the exercise was like, cause you mentioned sort of just like, you know, how do people think about education or, you know, like there's different things where they're, you know, you said it came up through um, something that's pretty, uh, kind of clear cut in the uh, relationships of the different uh, concepts and everything. But um, I think it could be a useful exercise for people to think about, like, what if we sat down and, you know, it certainly can be informed by students because you might sort of acknowledge like areas where, uh, you know, students hit friction or something, but like, you know, what I'm getting at is like, what is sort of like the student life cycle, the student journey, the student experience. Mm. And you're sort of like mapping it out and seeing like, well, actually like, you know, this is way too many steps to just do this part of the process or something. Like they have to keep, you know, checking in here and students say like, here is where, you know, uh, the process sort of like falls apart or, you know, you're just thinking the idea of like retention and student satisfaction and all that, like you could kind of like chart out this map and see where, um, and again, another word of the day, you know, you're saying, you know, efficiency a lot. You're like, you're just seeing like, yeah. wow, you know, students have to really like kind of stop off, uh, and, uh, wait for somebody to help them. Like where are areas where maybe they could be more self-service on the part of the students that they could just kind of, you know, complete a form, submit it, and, you know, they get what they need and, and do it on their own time, kind of more on demand. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you just listed it off, like, you know, there's a lot of interest, a lot of demand, uh, you know, from institutions uh, with this uh, tool. And I think a lot of different 
uh, use cases for it for sure. So I really appreciate you kind of just uh, rattling those off there. But um, as we sort of like kind of crest over here, I'm just curious, you know, with all that demand and things that you're seeing uh, for this uh, kind of methodology and everything, you know, where do you see this work kind of going in the future? And again, you know, as much as you can kind of just contour it around like the, uh, you know, the higher ed setting, but um, it just seems like there's definitely some momentum kind of ramping up for you, um, you know, with this, this work. I hope that's true. Um, like I said, we've, we've been building Zero for um, a number of years now through uh, a series of um, Department of Defense grants. Um, and so we're, we're sort of getting to the point now where we've got a, a very robust version with actually a lot of new features that are going to be coming out fairly soon um, that have emerged from our different projects. So I, I mentioned our army project already, which was, which is really focused on building more automated support up front in the authoring piece. Uh, we've had a, another project, uh, that we're in our third year of for the air force. Uh, their interest actually was in, in forming teams. So if you can quickly ascertain, you know, from a, from a group of people, uh, what their mental models are with regard to whatever you're training on, uh, you could form your teams around those uh, differences and similarities in their mental models. Um, and so each of these projects has given us an opportunity to sort of build out new aspects of what we can offer through CERO. Um, and we're very much uh, at the stage now uh, where we are uh, interested in, in getting the, the pilot data. So as people take Zero, try to implement it uh, in these variety of use cases, what does that look like? What lessons are we learning? What kinds of uh, features and, and desirements can we wrap back into the software? Uh, what value are people finding in the data? Um, how efficient is it, right? Are, are, so our pilot tests are a good place to sort of test that efficiency question. Um, and then out of that, uh, what we hope will emerge um, is a is a tighter set, if you will, of of use cases uh, that we can really focus in on. And so, if if the if a key use is as you've kind of suggested, almost enabling the students uh, on their own to use these exercises as, as formative learning, uh, then then that's where we might focus. Um, if the desire is uh, more toward that upfront diagnostic to really get a picture of where the students are. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, first year students coming in, they sure they've gotten through the acceptance process, but they're all coming in with different ideas and, and different understandings and comprehension of, of different subjects. And so, um, you know, if, if their desire is, is, is early on that sort of uh, diagnostic piece, then we, we can focus uh, development there. Um, if uh, you know, if if the goal is is potentially to use these as, as summative in in the sort of NAPE sense, um, to to really use them at the at the end of a module or at the end even as a course, um, then you know focus could be there. Right now, we're we're developing for all these use cases, and so what we're what we're going to be looking for in the next. Um, six to 12 months is can we coalesce around uh, use cases that are um, uh, that are broadly of interest. Um, but and that's kind of hard because each time we um, each time someone's new to Sarah and, and we walk them through it and we show them how to use it, uh, you know, you can just sort of see the wheel spinning uh, and people want to sort of go off and, and try it uh, it, in, in all these different use cases. Um, so we'll, we'll keep building for them all. Uh, but we were hoping to, um, to sort of find a place on the spectrum where, uh, where Sarah is particularly adept, uh, at getting at these, these higher order thinking skills, uh, in an efficient manner. Uh, and, and, and then using the results of these assessments, you know, people can do different things. Um, and that could be, and I'll just go through a, a short list of, of potential uh, future development directions, but, um, mm -hmm. and you were kind of hinting at this, you know, that the, there is a big map out there of uh, here's my course and here's what I expect students to, to learn and understand over the course of my course. Um, and so, you know, that, that gets laid out traditionally in a curriculum, right. And in this sort of the, um, you know, both in terms of the schedule, but also the resources and the activities that uh, are envisioned. And so parallel to that, though, is this sort of 
gigantic mental model, if you will, of, of everything that someone could learn in the course. Um, and so we, uh, we have a vision where, where all of that could be represented in the concept map. Again, that's going to be a gigantic concept map, but you could take chunks, if you will, of that concept map and, and use them at different points within the course. Um, concept maps have been used uh, for a long time as graphic organizers for, um, you know, curricula. Um, so it's, it's not that big of a stretch, but, but what we're talking about is also um, building the content part of the curriculum. Um, and so, you know, going down this path of, of, of more automation up front in the authoring will give us more opportunity to build out those larger maps. Um, and we, you know, we're still um, in, in development for uh, building those algorithms and the natural language processing, but also thinking about things like security uh, and how do we ensure that, um, you know, especially in, in the summative cases uh, that, that students are um, having an experience that uh, is is theirs uh, and only theirs. Uh, so how do we how do we offset opportunities to to game the maps or to uh, to cheat on the maps? Um, so we we think about those issues as well. But um, because the maps are potentially uh, you know these these large <laughs> representations of what could be learned, there's a lot of opportunity and 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 providing each. Um, each test taker with an independent, you know, individualized experience. So we, we think that um, through use of randomization and other techniques that we can kind of offset um, those possibilities. So these are all research development uh, sort of directions for us. Um, uh, our goal ultimately is to, to get CERO into the institutions where, uh, where it can be most uh, you know, useful to people. Um, so we we're interested in, in individual pilot uh, projects, but also launching in, in sort of big ways into universities. The University of Texas would be a nice opportunity for us to do that. And all these other places where we have um, pilots, we're certainly looking to launch them more broadly into the university because that then gives us a whole nother level of capability where um, I don't now have to create all my maps all the time from scratch. <clears throat> I can beg, borrow, and steal from other people's maps, um, which is another nice thing about having your assessment content in map forms is that I can borrow a whole map from you or I can borrow a chunk of your map and use it in my map. So you can kind of, you know, think mm. of these things as Legos and you kind of mix and match. Um, but over time, ideally, then there, there's built up a corpus of, of maps that people can people can use and, and refine for their own specific purposes. So organizationally is, is where we ultimately want to get because there's a lot more value when when you're not the only person <laughs> in the organization trying to do this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, I mean, it's something that I uh, just that last kind of point that you're making, I think is kind of alluding to sort of as you like scale up more people are using it and using it for a lot of different things like uh something i've always just been geeking out about like over the past couple of years is just the kind of network approach and benefits of that mm -hmm. uh to where like if you kind of build that into the platform and, and i've seen a lot of great uh ed tech tools doing this where like you can kind of say like hey everybody uses this templated version of you know in this instance like a concept map to measure you know biology 101 concepts or something you know like it was kind of just like yeah you know like traditionally there's you know these things that students kind of need to know and this is what we want to measure them against and like you know what we use so it's like that you're saying it gives people that greater efficiency and you know that you're using something that maybe a lot more people have vetted have used have refined and like you know those sort of things so they kind of just like uh you know obviously it has to reach a certain like point of critical mass of usage and people right. creating things so um, yeah, and it's yeah. you know we're going against literally a century of uh, <laughs> of uh, effort um, with things like multiple choice tests. So um, mm -hmm. you know while we're while we're always excited uh, with our new opportunities, um, it's a, it's a big hurdle uh, to get uh, something new that um, is going to require people to change how they think about assessment, to uh, spend the time to understand what it is we're um, capable of achieving with this approach, uh, to try it out, to learn those lessons, to help us learn the lessons. Um, so yeah, there's um, th there's an uphill battle just to introducing new uh, approaches. Um, one, one thing that I should also mention uh, since, since um, on your podcast is 
um, we, we've been co-hosting a conference actually for the past couple of years called Beyond Multiple Choice. Um, the, the title of the conference hopefully uh, uh, gives away the theme, but the idea is new uh, e-assessment, new, um, new ways to do assessment uh, primarily through computers, although not explicitly, uh, you know, always through computers. But, but what, what can we, what advantages can we take in the computer uh, environment that we simply don't have if we're doing paper and pencil or some other kind of assessment? Um, what disadvantages uh, do those introduce as well? Uh, but the focus really is on, um, you know, kind of the future of assessment, the next generation of assessment tools and approaches, um, and trying to build a community practice around that idea because, um, the you know the the overarching as as we've kind of already mentioned the overarching um, entrenched I guess is the word I'm looking for entrenched ways of doing assessment are supported by systems and tools and um, and you know lots of lots of uh, money and effort has gone into ensuring that we can have those things um, but when you try to bring something like Cero into that ecosystem uh, there's there's a number of hurdles um, and so <clears throat> we've we've tried to build this community practice because there's other folks out there like us who who have very interesting ways to uh, support different kinds of assessment. Uh, and so our conference um, started in 2018, uh, kind of grew out of my experience in going to some other conferences and and sort of seeing what the state of the art was, uh, and especially some of the bigger conferences you know, they're, they're thinking of state of the art in terms of assessment as, you know, things like drag and drop. So you drag something from one part of the screen over to another part of the screen and you drop it in there and that's your answer. Um, and so when they think about sort of next generation of assessment or, or innovation, it's, it's pretty limited, uh, in terms of what's, what's possible. Uh, and we think, Ours um, approach with Cero is is pretty revolutionary in terms of what what it is possible, but we can't necessarily very easily sort of live inside the systems that that currently exist. You know things like item banks and um, and those uh, you know even you know in the learning management systems your your options for creating assessment questions are usually pretty limited. Ours is just such a very different thing that we kind of were figuring out you know, where do we fit here? And, and seeing that we don't really fit anywhere, we're, we're, we're kind of outside what the industry trends are. So that experience plus uh, coordinating and, and meeting with some folks in the UK who are, who have for a number of years been kind of driving this uh, next generation of assessment tools, led us to create a conference here in the US. We did it in 2018 and 2019. Um, those were in-person conferences here in DC. And we, um, we had a pretty good response. We had about 80 or 90 people uh, at those conferences. We went online in 2020 for obvious reasons, um, and we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, and so we are looking forward uh, to our next conference, which will be in November. Our numbers going online, they just <laughs> grew exponentially. So we're going we're gonna to stay online because we can reach a larger audience. Uh, you get more folks who are who want to see what the latest uh, innovations are um, and, and want to share the share the lessons of, of trying to implement them. Look, you know, look out in terms of seeing what sort of policy issues um, might be driving uh, or hindering growth and innovation and assessment. So, um, so folks can look out for that as well. Uh, you'll definitely see us there. We've been co-hosting and sponsoring um, since the start. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's sort of part of where this is going in the future is building up a, a groundswell for, uh, for doing things differently, uh, getting us out of this hundred year rut of, uh, of overemphasis on certain techniques. I mean, it is, uh, yeah, quite the task ahead of you, uh, you know, take a lot of time and commitment, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good, uh, you know, good work and time well spent and, uh, just, yeah, I mean, it's really comprehensive, all the things that you share that you're working on and, um, you know, just really, um, yeah, just really relevant, really useful. And I think, uh, yeah, just hopefully it sounds like the future is uh, very bright and wide open for you all. So, uh, that's, uh, yeah, just really, really great to hear. But, um, you know, as we wind down, uh, you've already shared, you know, we'll link out uh, to that book that you mentioned uh, that you uh, co-authored in the uh, yeah, the conference and um, just anything else really quick. Uh, I believe you mentioned uh, before we got on the air here that you uh, host a podcast as well or uh, assist with that. So if you want to give that a shout out really quick, anything else uh, that we could include in the show notes for folks to check out? Sure. Um 
folks want to see more about what we're doing with Cero, uh, we're at serolearn.com. So that's S-E-R-O. Um, just as an aside, people always ask me where the name came from. Uh, so Cero is, is Latin for to join together. So we are joining together those concepts. So it's serolearn.com. Uh, and we've got resources there. Um, folks can go on and, and just see what the assessments actually look like from the student perspective. They can try it out. Uh, and then we do offer a 30-day trial as well for free because... Folks need to try this out uh, and see if uh, what kind of ideas come to them. Uh, they can also reach out directly to me, um, particularly for folks who are really interested in uh, in launching a pilot program uh, for them individually or their organization. Um, my podcast is is somewhat related. Um, I. I started this uh, podcast early by saying, you know, I've been working in this area for for over twenty years um, in the field of uh, naturalistic decision making. So again, how do how do experts who are in the workforce, people who have been around for a long time, how do they achieve expertise? What do their mental models look like? Um, and that also is a community practice. So there's a bunch of folks out there who are interested in. Um, kind of getting outside the lab to study uh, cognitive psychology and getting into where people actually do it in those naturalistic settings. Um, and so our, our podcast is at naturalisticdecisionmaking.org. Um, so if folks are interested in, in that aspect of the work, they can go there and, and hear podcasts uh, from people who have been doing this sort of work for a long time and who have certainly helped shape the way that I think about it. Um, and uh, yeah, that'd be great. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience and uh, hope folks will reach out and let's keep the conversation going to to think about how we can do things a little, little differently in assessment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, for the sake of time, and just because that was such a beautiful way to uh, end the episode, uh, just a lot of great ways. And obviously, yeah, like you said, keep the conversation going, connect with you and a bunch of other great stuff to uh, check out in the show notes. But um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for your time and all that you shared. I feel, I feel like this is a really uh, comprehensive context and just a lot of great use cases for uh, this kind of methodology and everything that, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be seeing and hearing a lot more of in the you know, coming months and years and everything. So I uh, appreciate you and your work and uh, your time here. And yeah, just thanks again so much. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.